Amen. Hey, you've got a Bible, say yes. And uh, Luke chapter 22 is where we are this morning. If you're visiting with us, we've been going verse by verse through this gospel, and we're in a series entitled The Great Coronation. We've already learned together that God the Father has chosen to give His Son Jesus a kingdom. And that kingdom will be established here upon the earth in the days ahead. Jesus promises that, and Jesus talks about His return on many occasions. Now this morning we are challenged because we are called to live between the first and the second coming of Jesus. And when Jesus does come and establish His kingdom, He's going to give you and I opportunities to serve in His kingdom here on the earth. And where we serve in that kingdom will be based upon how we were faithful to serve this day. And so we want to make sure that we are faithful to do exactly what God's called us to do. And we know according to Scripture, God has called all of us to be a part of His mission and his mission is to make disciples. We also know that as followers of Jesus, we're called to exercise our spiritual gifts. So we should be exercising them and employing them in the body of Christ. That is God's will for you as an individual and for us as a fellowship. So we want to remain faithful to that. But here's what we learn this morning. As you and I seek to be faithful to God's call upon our life, we are going to be faced with a great enemy. And the enemy is the devil. You know, the Bible teaches about the devil as being a fallen angel from heaven. He fell because of pride, desired the place of worship in heaven, and was booted out. A third of the angels followed him and became demons here upon the earth. And now the devil himself is actually systematically and strategically putting demons out in this world system to tempt you and I. And the temptation really is to keep us from fulfilling God's call upon our life. And so this morning, what we're going to do is look at Peter's life, and we're going to discover how Peter actually fell to temptation, and then what happened to his life after that. So really, there are three questions that we're going to ask of our text this morning. The first question is, how do I know if I'm falling away from God's call upon my life? And then the second question is, how does Jesus respond whenever I've fallen? And then the third question is, what do I need to do when I return to the Lord Jesus Christ? So with those three questions in mind, let's look together at Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, beginning in verse 31. You can stand with me in honor of God's Word this morning, and I've uh, got several verses to read here, so stick with me. Luke's Gospel, 22, verse 31. You got it there in front of you, say yes. And uh, the Bible says, and Jesus is speaking here to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out without money, belt, and bag, and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? And they said, no, nothing. And he said to them, but now whoever has a money belt is to take it along. Likewise, also a bag, and whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and to buy one. For I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with transgressors. For that which refers to me has its fulfillment. They said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Hey, can I get your attention for a second? Eyeball to eyeball. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Can I get a witness on that? Yeah. Isn't it interesting, though, in this text, he's telling his disciples to go buy swords? That was a question. 
So why is Jesus telling his disciples, all right, you guys, y'all didn't have weapons before. Now go pick up a sword and get ready. Well, a lot of people may read this and think that Jesus is trying to incite rebellion through his disciples against the Roman government. But that actually is the opposite. Jesus knows that these individual disciples are fixing to face great difficulty in their life. And most scholars believe that here Jesus is actually encouraging self-defense. So he tells them to grab up a sword to defend themselves from robbers as they begin to move out from where Jesus is going to be crucified. So here you have Jesus really affirming self-defense. So everybody with a gun, can I get a witness on that, right? I figured y'all are much more red than the first two services, but God bless both of you. So here's what we have, all right, verse 39. And Jesus came out and proceeded, and was, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. And when he arrived at that place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to Jesus, strengthening him. And being in agony, Jesus was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow and said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came, and the, they called, uh, the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus answered and said, Stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and the elders who had come against him, Have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me. But this hour and the power of darkness are yours. Having arrested him, they led Jesus away and brought Jesus to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. And after they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. A servant girl seeing Peter as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him said, This man was with Jesus too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, and he had told him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out, and he wept bitterly. Let's bow together. Father, uh, we do thank you for your word this morning. Pray in the name of Jesus that you'd speak to our hearts. God, we're reminded in the scripture that we have an enemy, uh, the devil, the thief, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So he's after every single one of us wanting to hinder us and keep us from doing what you've called us to do. So I pray this morning that you would give us wisdom and discernment to see that spiritual battle and to fight it well. And God, I pray in the name of Christ that you would encourage your church body this morning to walk with you wholeheartedly. And we give you glory for it. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, Amen. So you guys can be seated. So the three questions. The very first one is, how do I know 
if I am slipping or turning from God? How do I know if I'm turning from the Lord's call? Notice Jesus' exchange with Peter again in verse 31 and 32. The Bible says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have returned again, strengthen your brothers. Now here in the text, sifting wheat is removing the shaft from the actual edible part of the wheat. I've seen this done on many occasions overseas, especially in Africa. They'll take all the wheat that they have gathered and they'll put it on a large uh, piece of fabric. And there in the middle of the valley, when the wind is blowing, they will throw all the wheat into the air. The wind will come through and actually blow the shaft away from the wheat. And then the wheat will fall back down. Jesus is saying that this is what Peter is about to experience in his life. He is about to have the devil himself actually throw him up into the air, so to speak, and cause the winds of temptation and the difficulty of trials to hit his life like never, ever before. Now, in the text, we find that Jesus says to Peter, but Peter, I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail. In that particular phrase, the Lord Jesus Christ is praying that Peter would remain faithful to God's call upon his life no matter the difficulty. Now, Jesus, also being a prophet, knew that Peter was going to fall. And so he was already praying that when Peter returned, that's what he says, when you return, I pray that you will strengthen your brothers. So Jesus knew that Peter was about to falter in his walk with God. He was praying that when he returned, he would give strength to other people. The word strength in the Greek New Testament is therizo. It's where we get the English word steroids, uh, which is a great term, right? So what's happening here is Jesus is saying, I'm praying that Peter, you would be like steroids to your brothers and sisters in the Lord in the days ahead. But Peter would have no, uh, nothing to do with this. He wouldn't pay attention to the Lord Jesus. In fact, he comes back affirming his devotion and passion for Jesus Christ. We see that in verse 33. He says, Lord, and this is very emphatic, by the way. There's an exclamation point by it in my Bible. So it's almost like Peter's raising his voice. And he says, Lord, with you, I'm ready to go both to prison and even to death. So I will die for you. Nothing will hinder this. And here is where we begin to see Peter's life slip away from God's call. It's amazing here. What we see, first of all, is overconfidence in Peter's life. He was overconfident in himself. That really is the first sign of slipping. But what does overconfidence say? How do you know this morning, you're in church, right? How do you know if you are living an overconfident life in yourself? How can you identify that? Well, there's a few statements that I would give you. Here's the first one that I would give you to figure out if you're overconfident. You may be here this morning saying, I can handle this. I can handle this. You listen to God's Word preached. You listen to it taught. Uh, you've read it yourself. And maybe you've come away thinking, I've got this. All right? I can handle this. I won't have a problem with this temptation or that temptation. And whenever you hear people warn you about falling to temptation, you say, no, I would never fall to that. I would never cheat on my spouse. I would never look at that online. I would never say something like that to him or her. And so you've got all of this confidence, but that confidence is in yourself. So it is overconfidence. Jesus told Peter in verse 34, he says, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. And what a statement this is, right? If you grew up in church, you probably remember reading about this when you were in grade school. This idea of the rooster crowing. But Peter still wouldn't pay attention. 
Peter still ignored the Word of God. So he not only thought, I can handle this, but he continues to slip a little further, and it's almost as if he's saying now, I don't need help from God. I don't need any help. Now, you may be like, how in the world would you come to that conclusion? And you may be here this morning and say, well, I've never said that before. I would never actually say that. And that's true. Most people who come to church would never verbalize they don't need God. But what's happening here? Here's what I would suggest. I would suggest to you that a person, and you got to listen. Are you all listening? Say yes. I would suggest to you that a person who lacks prayer in their life is actually living as if they don't need help from God. If they lack prayer, they're living like God's not necessary. And that's what's happening here in Peter's life. Verse 39 and 40, the Bible says, He came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. And when he arrived at the place, Jesus said to them, listen to what Jesus says. He's like, pray. What are we praying for? Pray that you may not enter into temptation. So the problem here is that the disciples, which included Peter, heard the command. The word of the Lord, pray that you wouldn't enter into temptation. But instead of getting on their knees and crying out to God, they got on their sides and they went to sleep. And that's what the scriptures teach, that literally Jesus came up to them, verse 46, and said, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you not enter into temptation. Now, I would suggest this morning that those who lack true, genuine prayer give evidence that they think they don't need any help from God. Can I ask you that question, right? And I ask the same question of myself. Are you spending time in prayer? Are you seeking wholeheartedly after the Lord? Or are you living in such a manner as if I'll call out to God if something really horrible happens, right? And that's somehow, some, some way, that's how people live. I mean, they're like, Lord, I'll call out to you if somebody gets cancer. But they never uh, see their grand need of Jesus in their day-to-day walk. Now, what we see in this text is a negative illustration in Peter's life, but a positive illustration in the life of Jesus. So Jesus, who is God in the flesh, the Bible says he is on the Mount of Olives crying out to his Father. Now you've got to listen to this. Are y'all listening? Say yes. The Mount of Olives. Do y'all know what kind of trees were on the Mount of Olives? Anybody can make a guess there? <laughs> Smart. Y'all are genius, right? So there's olive trees out there. And here's what would happen. People would actually come up and they would collect olives off the trees and they would put them in a sack and then they would carry that sack of olives to the uh, wine press or the pressing machine and they would take the olives and they would pour them into this circular tub. All right, it was really large. They would pour them all in there and then there was this massive uh, stone wheel that actually went around the tub and it was usually dragged by a donkey or a slave. And so you can imagine, right, you've collected all your olives that day. You go and you throw it into the tub, and then the donkey begins to go around. And all of those, can't you see it, as the, the, the wheel comes and hits that olive, it bursts that olive. Y'all see the imagery? Jesus now is on the Mount of Olives, and he is experiencing some of the greatest pressure in his life than he's ever faced. And while he is facing this great pressure, the Bible says, just like the olives would give forth their juices, Jesus himself is actually pouring drops of blood. Such great pressure. He's being tempted. So I says, well, what is he being tempted from? He's being tempted to turn away from God's call in his life. That's why he says, that, uh, if, if this cup can pass from me, if there's another way, let it be. Now, some people are like, well, what is the cup? 
Well, it's pretty wild, right? When you study Old Testament, you find out that the cup is actually representative of the cup of God the Father's divine wrath against sin. So Jesus now there, sweating drops of blood, His disciples, a stone's throw away, sleeping, when they should have been praying themselves, you would think they'd be lifting up their Lord, but they're napping over here. He is pouring blood, saying, if this cup can pass from me, nevertheless not my will be done, but your will. So Jesus, once again, is submitting Himself to God the Father's call upon His life to go all the way to the cross, and there on the cross, drink down the divine wrath of God against sin, the sin that Jesus did not commit, the sin that you committed and I committed. So Jesus bore in His body the wrath of God the Father, was buried and resurrected. And so Jesus now is the prime example that oftentimes when we follow after God's call in our life, it's not easy to drink down the cup the Lord has given us. Some people want to preach it's easy peasy, don't they? Follow the Lord, man. It is all good. Listen to this preacher. Follow the Lord. It will be difficult. You're going to drink down some difficulties. And Peter, man, he's not praying. He's not seeking the Lord. The disciples aren't seeking the Lord. And oftentimes I fear that uh, not only in my own life, but also in the life of our church, that we're just not seeking the Lord enough. Uh, when I'm looking at this text, man, I begin to say, when's the last time I prayed, Lord, keep me from temptation? Somebody said, well, preacher, why haven't you been praying that? Apparently, I think I can handle it. Because if I didn't think I could handle it, man, I would be seeking the Lord with all of my heart. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? Jesus... In this text, prayed showing his dependence upon God the Father, but the disciples slept showing their independence from God the Father. So we see the slip. We're like, I can handle this, and I don't need God's help, and I don't think any of us really would ever verbalize either of those statements, but that's what we are doing with our life. Lord, I can handle it. How are you so confident that you can handle it? That's why I'm not praying. So I'm not seeking after you. Don't, apparently that's not a big deal in my life. And then it goes on to the third deal here, and this is where it gets a little slicker. All right, y'all, y'all with me here? It's like a slide, all right? Y'all, y'all remember slides back in grade school? You're sliding down. So here Peter is, he's sliding down. I can handle this. I'll never turn from you. Jesus is like, pray that you want to enter into temptation. Takes a nap. I don't need to pray. I got this. Sliding. Here goes the third thing. I can fight my own battles. I don't need the Lord's help. I can handle this. I can fight my own battles. Now here in the text, we got Judas, right? Y'all remember him? He's among the disciples. He actually turned from Jesus uh, for a sum of money. And when uh, we've already talked about Judas, but when the people came to arrest Jesus, Peter went nuts, man. Peter went crazy, right? Y'all saw verse 49. Look at it again. When those who were around Jesus saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Now, did y'all hear an answer? I didn't hear an answer from the text. Jesus didn't say yes or no. Did y'all hear anything? I'm asking y'all a question. Just say no, you didn't hear anything. All right, good deal. So you didn't hear anything. So then here's what happens. Somebody pops up, and one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Any guesses as to who that might have been? That's right. It starts with a P, ends with an eater. Y'all listening? 
So Peter did, man. That's in John's Gospel, chapter 18. So he strikes off his ear. First of all, I'm reading this, and I'm like, what a horrible aim Peter is. It's like, here it is, this battle, and he's going, I'm going to cut your ear off. That's some mad junk talk, isn't it? So don't mess with me, man. I'll cut your ear. It's much funnier to me. But anyway, so uh, that's what he does. He cuts off his ear. But what I want you to see here is that Peter is actually fighting a fight that he was not supposed to be fighting. He thought he could fight his own battles, but the problem is he was fighting the wrong battle. Jesus said to him in Matthew's gospel, Don't you know, Peter, I could have called down a host of angels to fight for me if this were the battle to be fighting. But this isn't it. Put up your sword. You're fighting, listen, against God's purposes. That's a strong concept. Paul writes how we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against the powers of darkness. You see, Peter wanted to fight flesh and blood. That's why he's cutting off ears. Listen, are y'all listening? Say yes. Because here's where it gets down uh, on our table here. You know you're slipping if you find yourself fighting against other people instead of fighting the spiritual battle. The slip is very clear in your life if you're always fighting your spouse, fighting your children, fighting your fellow co-workers, fighting your fellow church members, always causing this rub with other people. The spiritual enemy, who is the devil and demons, are always tempting us to fight with one another. His goal is to divide. His goal is to confuse. His goal is to bring about division at home, in the workplace, and in the church, and even in the community. This is what the enemy does. So if you come to church today and you're fighting with your spouse or your children or other people, you are fighting the wrong fight. You are slipping, man. And the reason you haven't realized you're fighting the wrong fight is because you haven't been praying. And the reason you haven't been praying is because you're overconfident. I'm confident, too, that that's one of the main reasons that the church has just lost the power of God. So we don't experience the power of God like we read about in the New Testament. We don't experience that oftentimes as we read about it historically as revivals are breaking out. Why not? Well, you study what's going down with the people in the New Testament. What were they doing? Praying. What were they doing historically when revival broke out? Praying. And then we come to churches and what do we do? We just look at each other. You can come to church and be here all morning and never talk to God. So that's not the point. But we fight everybody else, man. How many churches has the devil destroyed because people fought one another? Divisions. A lot of the uh, church plants that are happening today aren't church. They're church splits. What happened in the context of that church body? Enemy got in and confused everybody. They stopped praying, started fighting each other. That's what happens, though, man. We can fight our own battles. Hey, listen, I would say this to us, too, right? When we move forward to fulfill God's mission upon our life, everybody wants to know what God's will is for their life. Here's God's will for your life. Make disciples. That is His will. 
You cannot, you can't get away from that in here, man. So if we are going to read the Bible and be like, we're going to be a church that actually does what Jesus says, when we move forward, we got to know this. The devil knows where we are. He will come at us. And we're seeing that even today. We see uh, families that are just in unbelievable turmoil as the enemy's attacking them. See uh, uh, church members who are in unbelievable turmoil as people are attacking them. Enemies attacking them. Man. And here, here, now, hear the preacher, right? Because all I can say is, uh, looking at this text, it should be like, hey, maybe we should just get together and pray that we wouldn't fall into temptation. Seek the Lord. Y'all all right? Yeah? So uh, here's, here's what's wild, though, yeah? The miracle of Jesus here in verse 51 Jesus answered and said, stop, no more of this. In other words, Peter, uh, put your sword up. And then the Bible says, he touched his ear and healed him. Now, first of all, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Y'all down with that? Now, I would have been like, that is rad if his head would have got knocked off. And then Jesus was like, boom, you're okay, all right? And Jesus could have done that, but just did the ear. I don't really know why he did the ear. Uh, You know, and this is uh, pure, like, Sanctified imagination, all right? But it's almost like Jesus is saying, Peter, put up your sword. And then he heals his ear and looks at him and is like, why don't you listen to me? Y'all, did y'all get that reference? Because it was his ear. And then Jesus is like, you come out here with swords and clubs as you would against a robber. I was with you daily in the temple. You didn't lay hands on me. But this hour and the power of darkness are yours. Man, there's so much in that one statement. But what we're focusing on is a slip, all right? So Peter's like, I've got this. I can handle this. Um, he says, I, I don't need the Lord. I don't need to pray. Take me a little nap. Uh, spiritual laziness, all right? And then he moves on. He's like, I can fight my own battles, all right? So here he is fighting. And then the fourth, now you're like at the bottom of the slide. Here it is. It's like, I'm with them, not him. No less than three times Peter denies even knowing Jesus. He's hanging out at a distance after Jesus was arrested. Then he's hanging out around a fire, kind of trying to see what they're going to do with Jesus. Then Peter's sitting among the crowd in verse 55. So this servant girl comes up to him and says, you were with him? He's like, no, I wasn't. Woman comes up to him and says, you were with Jesus. No, I wasn't with him. You don't know what you're talking about. Man comes up and says, it's about an hour later, I know, I saw you with Jesus. I saw you with him. No, it wasn't me. Uh, another gospel writer, I believe it's Matthew, says that Peter in this moment starts cussing. All right? So he is so adamant about not being with Jesus, he's throwing cuss words around. Denying Jesus. It's pretty wild too, right? If you, if you are, uh, it's pretty, I, I, sometimes I wish a couple of things. Sometimes I wish the Bible was a pop-up book. And then sometimes I also wish that the Bible came with its own soundtrack. Are y'all listening? So this would be soundtrack, pop-up book. It'd be killer. All right? So you're reading this, and he's like, I don't know him. And he's cussing. And then all of a sudden, cock-a-doodle, told you so. Right? Comes right at him. Sees him. I thought about that screech owl when I said that again, right, this morning, man. If he even remotely was as scared as I was, I feel for Peter. Are you listening? But here he is, cock-a-doodle-doo. Can I tell y'all, too, this is embarrassing. I don't know why I'm telling y'all this, except I'm going to tell you anyway. But I, I wasn't real sure what sound a, a rooster made. 
Are y'all listening? So I Google searched it because I didn't want to look silly because I know a lot of y'all, y'all know the farms and I, I'm learning. All right? So I looked it up. Do you know that roosters actually speak different languages according to Google? All right? Y'all didn't know this. You look it up. Over in the Dutch territory, he doesn't say cockle-doodle-doo. He says something completely Dutch. Over in the French, he says something French. Here in the... He wouldn't even say cockle-doodle-doo. That's English. So I don't know what that rooster's talking, man. It's Greek, I reckon. (laughs) Y'all, you know you're going to go Google search that as soon as you get home. Go for it, man. I dare you. You will be shocked with that deep insight from your pastor. I want you to see the slip, though. Check it out, all right? Here's where it rolls. Lord, I can handle this. Sliding. Lord, I I don't need to pray. Spiritual laziness. And then all of a sudden, here, here, here. I'm fighting my own battles. And that's what you find. You find yourself just fighting everybody, angry at everybody, always cussing and acting to fool. And then all of a sudden, you find it down here that you have slipped so far that you may not be like, I don't believe in Jesus. But you may be living among the crowd not standing out for him. That's the slip. How many people come to church every single... And that's the thing. You, some people think if they come to church that they're not on the slide. You can be at the bottom of the slide and still be at church. So I read this article uh, recently that indicated the top two ways you could discover if you're drifting from your devotion to Jesus. Y'all ready for them? Here, here, this isn't in your notes. It's just free. Here it is. We know we're drifting when we lose interest in God's Word. Don't y'all remember that? Don't you remember a time in your life when you were fired up about the Word of God? You're like, man, you're waking up in the morning, you're reading this thing. You're like, Lord, what do you want to teach me today? Lord, what am I going to learn today? Lord, what can I apply today? And then somewhere along the line, maybe, I don't know, you got busy or something, you begin to kind of push those aside and neglect them. But there was a time too, man, you'd come to church and you'd be like, shoot, yeah, let's hear the Bible. What's the Bible teach, man? Preach it, bro. And now you come in, maybe, maybe you got your Bible, maybe you don't got your Bible. Maybe you just look at it, opened up, just so you feel like you're part of everything, but you're not really there. And then you'll begin to say, you know what, I'm coming to church every single week, man, but I feel so empty. Nothing's going on in my life. What's the deal? Look at the preacher, eyeball to eyebrow. Here's the deal. You have slipped. That's the deal. same article said we not only know we're drifting when we lose interest in God's Word, but we also know we're drifting when we neglect to pray. Do you remember what that was like? I just thought about this. This is, um, wasn't in the first two services, so this is free, I reckon, as well. But you remember when you first started dating your spouse? Y'all used to call each other on the telephone, right? Y'all remember that? Some of y'all got to think back a long way. You with me? But you, you call them up, talk to them, and then you get towards the end of the phone and say, I love you. I, no, you hang up. No, 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 you hang up. I ain't hanging up. You hang up. You're so fine. You hang up. Uh, y'all know what I'm talking about? That's right. Some of y'all don't have girlfriends. That's because you don't know the art of this right here. All right? That's the problem. You learn this, man. It will work for you. But, but that's how you used to be with the Lord. It's like, man, you couldn't, you couldn't get enough of spending time with the Lord. No, no, you hang up. No, no, you hang up. And now it's like, take it or leave it. If I've got time, that'll be great. If I don't, well, the Lord understands. Slipping, slipping, slipping. And you're in church today, some of you, right? And you have slipped. 
So the second question, how does Jesus respond when we slip? Because what happens is whenever we're in this state and we're kind of sliding down this slide, we may come to a conclusion and think, well, the Lord doesn't want me. He wants nothing to do with me. I've been disobedient to him. And man, if I come back to the Lord now, what would he ever say? Two statements on how Jesus responds. Here's the first one. First of all, he rebukes you. He rebukes you. Look at verse 61. The Lord turned out and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord that he had told him before a rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Now, this is wild here. Jesus doesn't say a word to Peter. just looks at him. And I remember how this used to be, man. I used to sit on the second row of my sister growing up at church. And I would be cutting up. And, man, my mom would be up in the choir. And she would just look at me. And if I caught that, y'all know what I'm talking about. And you, it's like, I'm going to get beat when I get home. I knew the look, all right? And I give the look. Y'all with me? You give it to your kids too, don't you? Come on now. I will teach you that one day as well. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But anyway, so it is kind of crazy. So here you got Peter. All he gets is a look. He denies him three times. Rooster crows. He looks up at the face of Jesus and right there staring at him. He's reminded of what Jesus says. The Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. You know what this is? This is a recognition. A a humble recognition of his own slip. He rebukes us. I, th- I think the Lord still does this today. So, you, you know, I've experienced it. You, maybe you've been in church. Maybe you're here this morning. You're like, Levi, the more you preach, the more I feel like the Lord himself is just looking at me. It's like nobody else is in here, but Jesus is staring at me. That's the look. That's the look of rebuke. I mean, I've received it. Some of you may be receiving that this morning. He rebukes us. But then what does he do? Here, here's where it gets cool. He then restores us. He restores us. This happens in John chapter 21. Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times. The resurrected Jesus. And check this out. He went to the cross. He died. He was buried. He got up from the dead. He then began to show himself to other people. 500 people at one time, by the way, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. But he shows himself to Peter too. And he comes to Peter, the one who denied him three times. And three times, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And humble Peter replied, yes, you know that I love you. And Jesus gave Peter a threefold responsibility. He says, tend my lambs. Jesus is saying, Peter, I want you to feed those who are new converts to me. Jesus said, shepherd my sheep. Jesus is saying, Peter, I want you to lead people to glorify me. Jesus also said, tend my sheep. So he's like, don't just feed the younger lambs the truth, but keep nourishing even those who have grown on to maturity. So where Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times, three times, he was restored and placed back into ministry. Jesus rebukes, he restores. So check this out. Look at me eyeball to eyeball. Y'all with me, yeah? So you're in church today and you're like, man, I'm slipping. And right now I sense Jesus is just staring right at me. What will he do next? Here's what he'll do. When you humbly repent, and realize that you have slipped and just say, Lord, I have been overconfident. Forgive me. I am humbling myself before you. He rushes in with restoration. And the misery that you're facing right now, it was actually going to become the ministry that is used to the body of Christ. And it's like, man, I, I've been challenging people all morning, right? Some of you are on the verge, right? So you've fallen, you're on the bottom, and like the preacher up here, which is me, I'm going, hey, come on back. The Lord's looking. The Lord wants to restore. Come back to Christ. I need you to come back. Somebody's like, well, why do you need me to come back? Because when you come back, you become a strength to other people. 
We need your strength. So the third question, what do we do when and if we return to him? Jesus told Peter that, right? He's like, strengthen your brothers when you return. Be steroids to them. Think about what Peter wrote to you. And y'all got to follow my train of thought, right? Uh, sometimes it's difficult, but stay with me here, right? Peter walks with Jesus for three years. Peter sees Jesus do miracles like crazy. Like the blind guy touches him, he can see. The guy who can't walk touches him, he can walk. Uh, he's out there uh, taking loaves of fish and bread and feeding 5,000 people. Jesus is up there standing. He's preaching to thousands of people. Unbelievable messages like never before on the planet Earth, right? Peter's with this the whole time. Then Peter, in the darkest hour of Jesus' life, rejects him, refuses him, denies him. And then Jesus comes back to him after his resurrection while he's in a glorified body. And he's like, Peter, let me restore you. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, 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 yes. And then Peter becomes a pillar of the church, the book of Acts. And then Peter sits down and writes letters to the church, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. And listen to the steroids that Peter's given out now. In contrast to Peter sleeping on the Mount of Olives when he should have been praying and getting prepared for temptation, Peter writes in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit. Literally, you know what he's saying? Stay awake. In contrast to Peter rebelling against the word of the Lord Jesus, Peter teaches in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, like a newborn babe longs for pure milk, long for the word of God that you might grow up in maturity. So Peter says, there was a time in my life when I rejected what Jesus was saying, but I'm telling you, don't go down that path, man. Drink from the word of God. In contrast to denying Peter, or Jesus, uh, Peter writes in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, check this out. Remember, Peter's the one who's like, I don't know him, I don't know him. And then he cusses, I don't know him. And then he writes this, set aside Christ as Lord in your hearts. Check this out. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. So Peter, it's like, you need to stay awake, keep on praying. You need to listen to and obey the Word of God. You need to testify of Jesus Christ every single time you get the opportunity to do so. So what do we do when we return to God? Very simply, we become an encouragement to others to be faithful to the Lord. Are y'all paying attention? This is where it gets to the, the crux of the matter. When you return to the Lord, the Lord restores you and then the Lord equips you and empowers you to help other people who will face the same temptations you fail to. We need people like that. Oh, the Lord doesn't want me. Yes, He does. The Lord can't use me. Yes, He can. And if we're not careful, the enemy himself will dupe us into thinking that God has altogether turned His back on us. When he's not. Can I give y'all something else Peter wrote? That's the question. Can I give it to you? Check, check it out, right? At the beginning of the sermon, I was talking about how we've got an enemy who is the devil. Peter was tempted by the devil. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5 8, be of sober spirit. By the way, sober spirit literally means stay awake. So it is amazing how many times Peter's like, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. Y'all better stay awake. Don't go to sleep. I went to sleep once. 
And then he says this, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Y'all, the word devour means it's pretty cool. It literally means to drink down. So while God has poured his divine will in a cup for your life and said, drink this down, the devil wants to take your life and pour it into his own cup and drink it down. So it's like, what are you going to do with this message? No, I'm asking y'all a question. Look at me. Eyeball to eyeball, right? What are you going to do with this message? It's like, what's the message? If you have slipped, come back. When you come back, be steroids to other people. If you're not careful, you'll walk out of here and say, that message ain't for me. I got this. Y'all hear what I'm saying? What you going to do with that? No, I, mean, I, mean, I feel like I'm asking you again. I'm going to ask you again. Is that all right? What are you going to do with that? I'm reading the text and I'm thinking, Levi. I'm asking myself, what am I going to do with this? Just listen or heed. Let's be heeders. Let's bow. Father, uh, we thank you for your word and the opportunity this morning to hear. And God, how I pray for those who have slipped, who are slipping, who see themselves maybe on the top of the slide, the middle slide, the bottom of the slide, wherever. And God, I pray that you would speak clearly to their hearts. Uh, give them the stare down if needed. And then restore them. And may they be like Peter, coming back with full force, encouraging, encouraging, building up, building up, helping, helping. Hey, listen, if you're here today and you say, Levi, man, I'm a follower of Christ, but I have flat out slipped. And I, I just need to be restored this morning. Then listen, at the point of your slip, the point of your overconfidence is where the Lord wants to meet you. So just in repentance right now, humble submission to the Lord. Remember Peter, he walked out, he wept bitterly. Man, would you respond to God's call and then experience His mercy like crazy? At the same time, you may be here this morning, and I don't know, you might be visiting, and we're fired up that you're here, but you don't have a relationship with God. Like, you don't know Him personally. Uh, you know about Him, but you don't know Him. All right, it's like knowing about the president, but you don't really know the president, right? So we know about him. And some people are like that with God. Well, listen, God created you to know him personally. Uh, but what separates you is sin. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. Death is eternal separation from God in a real place called hell. But God graciously sent Jesus. We, we talked about it this morning to take a cup of his wrath and drink it down for you so Jesus died as your substitute on the cross he died in your place he was buried and resurrected now the Bible teaches that if you will repent and place your faith in Jesus that is turn from your old way of thinking and living and just trust Christ but everything you have on Christ then you can be saved man I want to encourage you this morning to make that decision John writes it like this he says 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. How many of you just be honest and say, I need that. I need to give my life to Jesus today. If that's you this morning, just pray something like this in your heart as I pray out loud. Just say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and that I need to be saved. And so this morning I'm turning from my sin and placing my trust in you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Thank you for the resurrection. Now give me boldness as I seek to follow after him.